Welcome to Sierra Week Conversations, a new video and podcast series bringing you insights with impact into energy, economics, and a changing world in the COVID-19 era. I'm your host, Dan Jurgen. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to uh, another Sierra Week uh, conversation. Uh, this, this conversation will be about uh, carbon capture use and, and sequestration. Uh, I have a great panel uh, for this uh, conversation. Uh, it's, uh, I have Cindy Yielding, who is the Senior Vice President at BP, and she was also the Chair of the Coordinating Subcommittee for the National Petroleum Council study on the CCUS. Uh, I have Scott Willis, who is the Vice President for Commercial Development at uh, Oxylo Carbon Ventures. And then uh, from Norway, we are very fortunate to have uh, John Christopher Knudsen, who is the Vice President for Global Business Development at the Acker Solutions. So thank you, everybody, for joining, and welcome to CeraVe Conversation. So uh, let me just outline for our audience the panel's objectives, and then we will uh, get into the discussion. So CCUS is now a pretty hot topic uh, after after some hiatus. So we're going to talk about how CCUS, we think, is going to play a role in meeting the longer-term uh, emission targets. Uh, particularly a role in reducing emissions in some of the industrial uh, targets like uh, industri- decarbonizing industries like cement, steel, fertilizers, and also in producing hydrogen. Uh, we will talk about the current state of the technology and then what can we learn from the projects that are currently uh, un- underway. So we'll start with the big picture and then get into the specifics. Cindy, I'll, I'll start with you. Why is uh, CCUS important in meeting the future, meeting future emission targets? So, um, hi, Atul. Thanks so much for including me on this panel and much appreciation for the question. So while carbon capture use and storage is not the only solution to addressing the world's carbon challenges, CCUS can play a critical part in the all of the above solution to reducing CO2. So basically, CCUS should be considered as an element of any decarbonization strategy. So this may seem kind of counterintuitive, but CCUS is the most cost-effective carbon reduction technology available today. So in the fifth assessment report, the IPCC concluded that the cost for achieving atmospheric CO2 levels consistent with a two degree Celsius world would be twice as expensive if we didn't have CCUS. So another point, CCUS is proven technology. We can capture, transport, and store CO2 today and have been doing so for decades. We don't have to wait for a solution. We have this capability now. So and then just finally, CCUS technologies under research and development today offer the best potential scenarios to a negative emissions scenario, which can be, which may be required to reduce excess carbon dioxide directly from the atmosphere. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Cindy. So it's a good segue to you, Scott. Why do you think the oil and gas industry can play a, a role in the, in the scaling up of uh, CCUS? Well, there, there's really um, uh, three main factors at all. And we see uh, oil and gas companies are experts in understanding and managing reservoirs of oil and gas reservoirs around the world. And this expertise is critical in managing CO2 as it's sequestered or used underground. So the, the expertise that's been developed over 100 years of working in oil and gas fields will go forward to manage effectively carbon in the future in managing carbon management underground. The other piece is oil and gas companies are 
uh, uniquely skilled in managing major projects. And as Cindy said, uh, a lot of these CCUS are very large projects and this project management techniques have been developed again over many decades with major oil and gas companies and those skills will be used to execute these projects. So, so uh, clearly, oil and gas industry has has a has a role and has been actually doing uh, quite a lot of carbon capture. We will come back to that in a minute. Uh, but, but John Christopher, what about you know? I remember back in the early 2000s, everybody was talking about carbon capture, and then it kind of disappeared. It seems to have reappeared now in the last few years. What's what's changed? Well, I, I think you're right, Tool. If you look into history, you know, we uh, started off uh, already in 1996 with the delivery of the Slate platform, which is an offshore capture, uh, capture platform uh, capturing more than 1 million tons of CO2 ever since. So the history goes long back, and it's been a roller coaster ride for uh, Arker's capabilities as well as the CCUS industry, I would say. Um, and in the, uh, I would say in the early 2000, there was a lot of interest and a lot of investments ongoing, pretty similar to what we saw right now. But what happened was that I think the whole, the air got out of this in, in the midst of this as people were waking up to see that every, every, every company I talk to, they need to go through a journey. They need to go to look and see energy efficiency. What can we do? Can we do renewables? And there are, you know, certain steps that you need to go through before you actually get to the, uh, the moment where you say, well, actually carbon capture might be actually the solution I've been looking for if I'm a hard to abate emitter. And I think that's, uh, that was kind of the uh, immaturity that we saw in the market, which led to some of the backlashes, both in the UK. We were one of the first to capture CO2 in the UK. And then suddenly all of these projects stopped. And we saw the similar thing coming into Norway. Um, so, you know, after, after we delivered the uh, technology center Mongsta, things became very quiet, you know, but, but we kept on developing the technology. And of course, today, when we see the market coming back, people realizing this, this is part of the solution. Then, of course, we're very, very glad that we continued investing in this and that we could, can do like Cindy just pointed out. These are proven solutions and these are the most important solution for the, for the next decade and the decade to come. So technology is there. It's proven. As Scott, you said, the oil and gas industry has a history in it. So many good reasons. So let's get into some more, more details. So Cindy, you were uh, the chair uh, of the uh, subcommittee chair for NPC study, which was endorsed back in December. So tell us what has happened. What's the progress report on the study since then? Yeah, so Atul, as the lead author on the value chain subgroup, uh, you know as well as anyone how much expertise, uh, collaboration, and consensus goes into an NPC study. So I just wanted to say thanks again for your leadership in this effort. So I much appreciate it. So as context for those of you on the call, the U.S. National Petroleum Council is a federal advisory committee that exists solely to answer questions from the U.S. Department of Energy. So in 2017, Secretary Rick Perry asked the council to undertake a study to define potential pathways for developing carbon capture use and storage at scale in the U.S. So we assembled a team of over 300 experts from academia, NGOs, government, and a range of industries. And we spent almost two years researching, discussing, and framing aligned responses to these questions. 
So we've documented our findings in a report entitled Meeting the Dual Challenge, a roadmap to at-scale deployment of carbon capture use and storage. So since that draft study report was endorsed by the NPC in December 2019, we've been focused on finalizing the report. Uh, volume one, which is the executive summary, uh, was published in the first quarter of this year. And uh, volumes two and three, which are analysis of CCUS deployment at scale and a volume on CCUS technologies are all available today on the NPC website. Um, in addition, the study contributors have been sharing our findings and recommendations uh, with key stakeholders in the US and internationally. So the clear consensus driven recommendations of the report are currently helping to shape the business case for CCUS, as well as the policy and the technology investments that will help us to progress to at scale deployment. Okay, thank you. Uh, Scott, you're part of, as I said in my introduction, you're part of the Oxys Low Carbon Ventures Group. Could you say a little bit about what does uh, what is the remit of that group? So before we get started, just a couple things about Oxy. First, we're one of the largest uh, independent oil and gas companies in the world. Second, our CEO, Vicki Holla, was one of the first corporate leaders to talk about aspirations of being carbon neutral. And that's really what's driven uh, Oxy Low Carbon Ventures. Uh, but third, and, and, and probably uh, as important, is we're one of the largest and most experienced uh, users of CO2 in the world. So we have over 40 years of, of experience um, safely and successfully hand, handling CO2, really through carbon capture, large-scale uh, CO2 transportation and storage. And that's all been part of our enhanced oil recovery operations. And, and this experience has really helped us um, create uh, a vision to have lower carbon products and for, for both us and other companies to help reduce the, the carbon impact of that. So in our operations today, we store approximately 20 million tons of CO2 per year. And we're also expanding this uh, capability to capture more human-made carbon dioxide so in 2018, uh, Oxy formed a new business unit, uh, Oxy Low Carbon Ventures, or OLCB, to substantially enhance our, our business. And, and our focus is on developing carbon capture utilization and storage opportunities from both industrial sources mm -hmm. and the atmosphere so that we can permanently store the CO2 deep underground, either in EOR operations or in saline aquifers, so that um, we have less carbon intensive products such as fuels, chemicals, concretes, and others. So a couple of examples I'd like to give are one is an industrial source capture project, which we announced uh, with White Energy. And it, it's going to utilize the 45Q tax credits as well as California's low carbon fuel standard to accelerate carbon capture infrastructure, this project will capture CO2 from White Energy's two ethanol plants in the Texas Panhandle. And this captured CO2 will be dehydrated, purified, and compressed, and then transported to Oxy's West Seminole uh, Enhanced Oil Recovery Field for injection and sequestration. This project was also the first announced CCUS project under the FUTURE Act. So the, the second example I want to talk about is removal of CO2 from the atmosphere through direct air capture. And our investment and partnership with 
carbon engineering has allowed us to begin the development of the first large-scale commercial direct air capture facility in the world. And it will be designed to remove uh, just about 1 million tons of CO2 per year directly from the atmosphere in the Permian Basin. This captured CO2 will be used in lower carbon oil production, uh, resulting in what we're calling a carbon neutral energy cycle. And this carbon neutral energy cycle will allow us to permanently sequester an amount of atmospheric CO2 equal to or greater than the emissions which are created through the production, processing, and combustion of the oil produced. Another advantage we see to direct air capture is there is no feedstock risk. So with any industrial emitter, you have some feedstock risk of, of their, their um, business. In this case, direct air capture is, is a little more similar to wind and solar in that you've got uh, CO2 in the atmosphere, which you're pulling from. So we see the utilization of direct air capture to uh, a carbon neutral energy cycle is being able to continue to utilize the world's infrastructure for transportation. So, Scott, let's go. I want to come back, cover quite a bit of ground. So, I'll come back to some of those uh, specific. Okay. Uh, let me go to John Christopher. So, same question, John Christopher. You know, Acker Solutions, can you say a little bit about what you do and your involvement with carbon capture? Absolutely. So the ARCA carbon capture history, as I said, uh, dated back already to 1996. And then we realized that, that, you know, there were quite a few people that could offer uh, what we call the pre-combustion technology, such as gas sweetening. Um, so we started focusing in on post-combustion endopipe solutions. And this is really the core of the ARCA carbon capture offering today, mm-hmm. which is uh, to apply post-combustion capture to flue gases from industrial sources that is hard to debate. Typically, uh, not only cement, but the waste energy. We see a lot of interest from steel and, and quite a few also on the biomass side, trying to position now for a possible uh, low or, or negative emission type of schemes which are coming into to Europe and the discussion around that. And then uh, we realized very quickly that when we were uh, contracted to build this technology center amongst and design this large scale test plant for amine testing, uh, we understood very quickly that the HEC program file of our technology needed to be improved. Uh, so different from any other of uh, the uh, post-combustion uh, competitors, our focus has been primarily on HSC and how could you actually get to a carbon capture which is HSC friendly, which has very low emissions, and where you select those uh, amines that do not uh, form you know, anything hazardous. So there was a lot of focus on that when we realized the project in at the Technology Center Mongstai in 2012. And that has really been one of the strongholds going forward, because we believe when you go into medium and large scale plants, you really start uh, focusing on what is it actually that comes out of these carbon capture plants? How efficient are they? And how can you maintain a HEC friendly profile on these plants? So that's been the focus of our uh, technology development, you know, so not only these mid-range products, you know, the 40,000 and 100,000 tons uh, compact ones, but also on the large scale, because that's really when things mm-hmm. starting start matter to to uh, the governments of the different countries that we're operating in. So I'll I'll come back to some of the large scale, uh, new large scale projects uh, you're involved in uh, in a little bit. But Cindy, I want to go back to you. 
and ask you about 45Q, so which Scott referred to. So uh, I, you could start by just explaining what it is, but also, you know, in February, IRS issued some guidance on this uh, tax code, and then there was rulemaking uh, just last month in June. So is that sufficient to break the hiatus? I mean, what else is needed on this front? But for those of you who aren't familiar with it, 45Q is the section of the U.S. tax code that provides operators with a tax credit of $35 a ton of CO2 captured and stored by enhanced oil recovery or used and a $50 per ton tax credit for CO2 stored uh, via geologic storage. So we're really grateful for the recent clarity provided by the IRS on 45Q. And in addition, we're really pleased that the IRS has issued the notice of proposed rulemaking this recently in June. Overall, a tool, we think it's very comprehensive and it's going in the right direction to enable CCUS projects to move forward in the US. Um, what else is needed? One thing that we would like to see is a legislative extension of the begin construction deadline, which is currently set for January 1st, 2024. CCUS projects have long lead times and we're already running up against that deadline. So that's that's one thing that we believe would enhance the um, opportunities. So right now, only projects which are up to start, which start by January 1, 2024 are eligible. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you want, I mean, do you have a view on how long the extension should be? Should that be indefinite or, or not? Well, um, in the NPC study, we said six years. I think, you know, there are a range of, of different recommendations uh, indefinitely would be really great for business planning and probably stimulate a lot of creative thoughts and new technologies, but uh, five or six years would be a great start. Okay, thank you. Uh, so Scott, you mentioned uh, about, you know, operations you have, Oxy has in the Permian. Just for our audience uh, who may not be familiar with uh, the ER operations you have, could you briefly just describe the scale, how much CO2 you inject, oil you recover, just give us an idea of the scale you have there. Yeah, so for the uh, for our EOR business, uh, and it's, it's really um, uh, focused in the Permian Basin, uh, EOR is a, is a tertiary recovery, so it, it's after primary production and, and typically uh, water flooding. So as oil is left in place, uh, CO2 is injected into the reservoir into a almost liquid state, a supercritical state. And then this CO2 um, is uh, miscible with the oil, so it effectively combines with the oil. And from there, it changes the viscosity of the oil and allows the oil to be moved, moved uh, mobile uh, to be produced. So again, as I said, we, we sequester or we store about 20 million metric tons a year. We actually probably handle about 50 million metric tons a year in our CO2 handling system. Our EOR production, uh, based on last year's on our earnings reports, uh, is about 155,000 uh, BOEs. So it, it's a it's a very large scale operation. We have 34 CO2 floods uh, in the Permian Basin, which we're operating now, and then several other uh, potentials that are underwater flooding, which which we continue to evaluate for EOR. A lot of the information we have as well is, is uh, on our, our website. So we, we launched a new website last week for oh. low carbon ventures and it, it's oxy, O-X-Y, lowcarbon.com. So 
a lot of the information on the projects themselves, the technologies we're looking at, as well as our uh, CO2 operations are all found there. So I'd encourage anybody to go there. Um, there's quite a bit of information there for, for people to refer to. Okay, thank you. Uh, just uh, good, good timing, so people should definitely look at it. So, yeah. so John Christopher, I want to delve a bit deeper into the technologies. You kind of alluded to them a little bit. Uh, you know, you have different technologies. Uh, so could you talk about this range of technologies and their applications? Absolutely. So um, our history, of course, uh, started with uh, the the uh, acknowledgement that if you're going to be a serious uh, flue gas based capture provider, you need to do a lot of testing. So already in 2008, we built this uh, mobile test unit that you might be seeing a lot of uh, or on many of the shots that we have around the world in terms of we've been to Alabama, we've been to the Triple C, we've been to uh, Scottish Power in Scotland and around the world. And, and the importance of this is still being very much felt because there are two things that people would like to see. They would like to see proven technology, but they also would like to see risk reduction in their large-scale uh, plants. So, for instance, now that we have been working with uh, Heidelberg Cement uh, Nursam in Breivik on the cement factory in Breivik in Norway now since 2011, and we're now approaching the EPC phase of that. And then, of course, this full year of testing on their flue gas provides a lot of extra value for Heidelberg Cement because they know that the technology, not only the solvent, but the complete plant will actually work according to the specifications. Um, so that's that's kind of the basis. So we've tested on coal, we've tested on gas, we've tested on cracker gases, which was very difficult, I could tell you. And we've tested on um, uh, cement and waste, uh, waste to energy. So we have a wide range of flue gases and we continue to kind of develop that uh, uh, qualifications together with uh, the MVGL so that we qualify this for the individual um, flue gases. Now, having said that, the core technology then needs to be packaged in various ways. So when we look at, for instance, a waste incinerator or a medium-sized emitter, they need something compact. They need something that it's quickly to manufacture that we can deliver, you know, in 12 to 15 months that really needs very little from the site itself and we can prefabricate and bring to site. So that's where we have this Just Catch series. And then we have those, you know, the Heidelberg cements, the big ones, 400,000, a million, two millions. And this is where, you know, the integrated plants were to, were to come in and where we really need to integrate towards the processes in order to both utilize the uh, available heat and cooling at the site, as well as getting an optimal plant. This recent announcement around the qualifications for cement done by DNVGL, where we didn't have to add any energy uh, in order to kept for 400,000 tons. That has had a lot of interest from the market. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe just a quick follow-up on this. You know, in Europe, uh, is, how how feasible is carbon capture going to be given sort of the const you know constraints of where you can store uh, CO2? Is it going to be mainly an offshore? Yeah, no, I think what we're looking at is different from country to country. So, of course, Norway has been positioning this offshore because we recognize the fact that we need something after the oil. And we also have the available funding from the state in order to progress the CCUS industry in Norway. Uh, but, of course, the Norwegian demonstration project, which is now very close to FID, is just one out of many storage projects that are coming to the market. So we're seeing similar activities in Denmark, in Italy, and so, so quite a few things going on in UK as well as on the continent. So I think the infrastructure for storing is certainly coming to the market. And now that means that the 
options for countries like, for instance, Germany, who's been very skeptical in terms of storing CO2 at, at, on the on land, they have suddenly opening up because now they can see the options of actually exporting this uh, through shipping to uh, some sort of an offshore storage location, and and that opens a lot of of different discussions again. So I think it, I would say that it's very a country focus. Some countries very positive towards storage, other countries very focused on getting the CO2 either to permanent storage outside their country or focusing like Germany on power to X and usage of CO2. So it's quite an exciting, I would say it's uh, the last year since we announced some of these deals with the modular one, it's been, a, it's been an amazing journey. And at Docker Carbon Capture, we have uh, certainly had no time to spare in terms of trying to manage all the interested customers. It's, it's, it's good to hear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let me let me talk to both Scott and uh, Cindy about uh, some work uh, within OGCI. Both both of your companies are members of the oil and gas climate uh, initiative. So so Cindy, I'll start with you uh, as, as a member of OGCI. I think you are participating in this uh, Teesside industrial complex in the in the UK. Could you say a little bit about that project and kind of the vision for OGCI for on, on CCUS front? Um, yeah, so so um, first of all, CCUS is a, is a huge priority for the oil and gas climate initiative partnership. So um, looking for ways to to actually move forward and, and put uh, put CCUS in action. So um, on BP is the lead uh, technical. Con- partner on net zero T side, which could become the UK's first commercial full value CCUS project. And as you said, we've invested in the project as a, a member of the OGCI. So T side's an integrated CCUS project consisting of a new combined cycle gas turbine with state-of-the-art carbon capture technology, which would provide low power carbon to back up renewable energy. So CO2 from this plant, as well as from a cluster of local heavy industries, will be captured through a common pipeline network and transported to a secure geologic storage uh, offshore in the North Sea, like John Christopher was talking about, uh, either in a saline aquifer or in a depleted oil and gas uh, field. So um, there's a lot of potential. You're not really uh storage limited in in the North Sea. So we we think that's a really uh, great opportunity. So the project is currently in what uh, is referred to as stage two consultation since uh, last fall. And what that means is they're focused on identifying the technical parameters, uh, decisions on uh, design and routes, and also in the environmental impact assessment. So, Teesside in the UK, the industries account for almost 6% of the industrial emissions, and Teesside region is home to five of the top 25 carbon dioxide emitters in the UK. So CCUS here could make a real difference, and it could be could be very important. Um, you know, just kind of finally on Teesside, it's it's not it's a great bonus to the environment, but it also has some really great uh, potential uh, economic impacts as well. And just a couple of numbers, um, we could uh, see an annual uh, gross benefit of about $550 million per year once the project, if, if it gets up and running, and it could support over 5,000 direct jobs by 2035. So, 
if we're able to move forward, great for um, reducing CO2, but also for the uh, economic impact and benefits to, to the area in the UK. Yeah. So, so Scott, uh, you know, similar question to you. You are Oxy is a member of OGCI. I'm just interested, you know, you, 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 why you joined and the value you are uh, both getting and contributing, particularly on the carbon capture front, given all the expertise you have. I, one of the benefits uh, we we really see with OGCI is uh, on, on a project standpoint, a, a lot of the projects and technologies where you've got newer technologies. The struggle is getting funding to do a lot of the front end engineering. So front end engineering, you know, are, are tens of millions of dollars, not, not project size. So project financing can work through once you've got an engineering design, but a lot of the companies uh, struggle with the fact of, of getting uh, projects detail design and, and the uh, money to do that. OGCI has is, is really been looking at a lot of these companies, a lot of the technologies, a lot of these projects, and they're, they're really um, uh, using their funds to help uh, move these along and, and act as a springboard to get the engineering done so that financial decisions can be made. So it, we see it as a, as a great benefit to uh, a consortium going through and, and helping facilitate very good carbon capture projects that need in the tens of millions of dollars to move them along to begin to get uh, um, financial approval so that they can move forward on things like uh, project financing, equity financing, and as Cindy talked about, to be able to use things like a, a 45Q tax credit. So we, we really see the work of OGCI very beneficial in being able to, to help move these projects along. Great. Yeah. So we look forward to seeing, you know, how GCI uh, develops. So John Christopher, I want to talk to you uh, about the sort of the large projects you're involved in. You you mentioned the, the North Sim and also now the Northern Lights. Could you talk briefly about these, you know, uh, how, how optimistic you are? And it's kind of interesting that the Norwegian government is now involved in some of this, particularly Northern Lights. So tell us about the scope and scale and, and the likelihood. Yeah, so so um, um, Norsam is, as I said, a, a long history. It's a it's a very focused uh, a case starting already in tw- 2011. And I think you, I think we need to realize that the Norwegian state has put a lot of emphasis on CCUS for the last uh, uh, you know t- 10, 15 years, offering um, support to those that would like to move forward in the early phases, and it's been very critical in order to actually realize these plans. The fun thing about uh, Norsam is, of course, now that it's part of the, the Norwegian demonstration project, which is just around FID. So hopefully the state will then FID the whole project, the demonstration project in October. And uh, it really comprises of two uh, large-scale projects. It's uh, Heidelberg Cement Norsam Brevik, which is the cement plant, which is going to be a first of a kind on for cement. Um, first of a kind because it's uh, of its design with no additional heat added. Um, and then the Fortum uh, Oslo which is a, a large-scale waste incinerator that also has about 400,000 tons uh, captured uh, per year. 
And both of those are going to go into what they are referred to as the Northern Lights project with its partners, Equinor, Shell and Total. And I think coming back to Scott's point, I think this is a, a very good example with seeing how the oil and gas industry is positioning towards helping along the infrastructure needed in order to realize uh, CCUS at scale. So they will not be only be uh, storing this safely in an aquifer outside the west coast of Norway, but they will also be helping the first phase of the shipping. So they will be establishing the ship transportation that will be going to these first two, um, two sites. Now, the idea for the Norwegian state is, of course, that they would like to have more CO2 coming to Norway. So there is a range of MOUs that have been signed now with international companies that will like to deliver CO2 in the future to Northern Lights. So uh, the first phase is going to be 1.2 million tons of capture or, or CO2 that could be delivered and stored in the project. But they've already thought about uh, uh, you know, a bigger scale. So they, are, they have the pipeline already sized to a 5 million ton uh, storage facility. Uh, so there is plenty of room for uh, more uh, people coming with their um, with their CO2 to deliver it to the normal lights. And I think what you will be seeing and, and, and what we see from the oil companies around the Northern Europe is that they're positioning from various uh, angles. So we see Equinor, for instance, very active towards the UK market um, and Shell and Total, of course, uh, active in several of these other uh, projects that are ongoing. So over time, I think we will see quite a, a range of different storage options and transportation option, which is, is, is important infrastructure in order to actually get started with the capture side, which we focus on them. Yeah, I think yeah, that's kind of the hub concept and bring things together. And, and Absolutely, and, yeah, yeah. So, and, yeah. And I think, you know, um, I, I think the last, which we, I, I think is the most maybe exciting project at the moment is, of course, for blue hydrogen. And um, we, we might come back to it, that I think this, uh, we've, uh, we're working now with Prim and Sweden, a refinery in Sweden, together with Equinor and the, the Swedish and Norwegian state, and testing capture uh, on SMR technology, as well as we're developing also our own ATR technology. So this blue hydrogen concept and, and, the, and the role of hydrogen in the you know, next generation type of energy system, I think that should not be underestimated. And something that we see not only in the UK, which is very active on this, but also in the Nordics and around uh, Northern Europe. Yeah, we, ha we had a survey conversation about hydrogen uh, a few weeks back, and I'm sure we'll talk about hydrogen uh, for, a, for a long time to come, as you say, very exciting, different, mm -hmm. different shades of hydrogen, including, including blue, blue hydrogen. So just my final round of question, I want to start with you, Scott, uh, given, you know, you talked about the Oxy uh, low carbon venture, you know, pretty wide spectrum of activities. Uh, including EOR, direct air capture. How critical do you think a value on carbon, some price tax, how critical is that going to be in, in your thinking going forward? So I, I, I won't comment on a, on a tax credit, a tax, uh, but, but we do think a, a value for carbon yeah. is critical going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and some of this goes to an understanding of, of as you work through these projects as well as you work through financing of them. So it's understanding the income streams of, of these projects. And Cindy talked about, you know, a lot of these projects, she's talked about extending the, the 45Q um, start date. And some of that's because of the length of time it takes to execute these projects. These are not 12 month solar project. These are, you know, a quick one is 18 months and they can run, you know, 
three, three to three and a half years for some of these large scale projects. Um, and, and with that, having a, a very good understanding of, of the um, revenue coming in on these is critical for, for financing. So uh, we, we've seen things like the, the California low carbon fuel standard, which is very specific, but it's a, it's a market driven uh, mm-hmm. value on CO2 and that's helping to drive pro- uh, projects. I think our, our view of it as well is, is having a, um, a a good base for uh, some CO2 pricing. Uh, so a range for CO2 pricing will help uh, give comfort to the market to uh, begin financing these projects, as well as uh, being able to, um, I think, develop projects more fully. So, so we do think the market, um, and it, it may be through some, some, uh, government mechanism, but it also can be uh, business to business. So we see that as another critical piece is a, a way to have a business to business transactions where we see several businesses very focused on uh, carbon neutrality. So it's beginning to develop a clear, transparent method for um, the carbon capture. So ensuring that the carbon is indeed captured and sequestered properly. And then the financial transactions to, to move those credits through the system. So uh, we're, we're also working quite hard in trying to um, w- with companies to try and, and develop a, a very transparent view of the, the carbon being captured and then the financial transactions with that. So it could be a, a private um, private transactions or something for the government management. But we do think that the pricing mechanisms are very critical. Yeah, thank you. That's very, very, very good, very clear. Now, on the other hand, John Christopher, in Norway, you have a carbon price and a tax for a long time. So how do you think that has influenced uh, what you're seeing now on, on the carbon capture front? Well, I think I think what we've seen is that it needs to be applied in more consistent ways. So we're, we're I know that the Norwegian state is now reviewing this because it's been uh, parts of the sectors that have been not covered and parts of the sectors that have been covered. So it's not it's been a little bit of a patchy. Um, well, I, I guess I, it's I see it in two folds. I see that, for instance, the oil and gas industry, of course, is very um, very focused on on this tax as it has been applied to some of the oil and gas activities. Um, Overall, I would say the push towards carbon capture doesn't only come from the fear of, you know, a rising carbon capture at a tax or a, a, um, a value. I think the push also comes from the fact that investors would like to see companies become a greener and have a more sustainable um, business or value proposition. So, you know, it's, it's fun to be out there because many times when we talk to, for instance, investors, it's all about, you know, how uh, how green is this? It just is really, um, you know, this is this a next step so that we can move forward with some of these industries which are threatened and the current business models are threatened. So I think it's a combination. Of course, it has an, a factor. And for instance, for Heidelberg, Samantha Breivik, of course, that plays a role. But I think also the quite significant focus that it's not only on the national level, but also down to the city level. You know, cities like Copenhagen, Oslo, and, and big cities around the world, they are setting very aggressive targets for their local uh, you know, regions. And I think all of these in totality is what really moves the market at the moment, and not just the, the uh, for instance, the ETS price, which many pe- people uh, tend to refer to. 
Yeah, so thank, thank you. So Cindy, uh, last question to you, uh, and I'm sure you're aware of this criticism of carbon capture that it was just uh, a, a way to prolong uh, the you know oil and gas age. Uh, of course, we know that we will need oil and gas for a long time to come, but how would you respond to the, those uh, critics? Yeah, so a tool, the way we talk about it is, is we kind of break it down. You know, the, the world needs more energy due to increases in population and economic growth across the developing world. I mean, today we've got about a billion people with no access to reliable energy, and we want to help uh, change their, their lifestyles. So renewable energy alone is unable to meet the increase in demand while we also focus on delivering the emissions reductions consistent with the Paris goals. So that's what we call the, the dual challenge. And it's also going to take time to re-engineer the whole energy system. So hence organizations like IPCC, IP, uh, IEA, um, they've all said, as, as you noted, that fossil fuels will be a part of the energy mix for the foreseeable future. So um, it's we feel like it's important to get after the emissions that are being generated while we continue to, to move forward in the world. And another couple of notes, CCUS doesn't only capture emissions from power generation. It's vital for decarbonizing the wider economy. John Christopher talked about cement, steel, where process emissions are really hard to abate and where demand's gonna continue to grow. CCUS also enables, as we talked about a little bit earlier, clean hydrogen uh, to supply heating or electric storage, transport and industrial processes. So I want to come back just finally to one more point that we made earlier. This is something we can do now. They're proven CCUS technologies. We've been talking about them. Both John Christopher and Scott have, have given great examples of, of work that we are doing now or uh, technology that's under development. And we've got uh, decades of experience in this area and also exciting technological advances being made. So we can apply and scale up proven technologies just to get started on decarbonizing now. Yeah, so so thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, John Christopher and Scott. I think in summary, I would say, uh, as all of you very amply de demonstrated, this is a proven technology. It's being applied uh, around the world in different situations, not just for enhanced oil recovery. We talked about ethanol, cement, uh, steel, uh, so many, many different areas which will require uh, decarbonization, uh, you know, and, and new technologies for that. So CCUS is very well suited for it. Thanks again for tuning in to another Sierra Week conversation presented by IHS Market. For the complete video series and previous episodes, visit us online at sierraweek.com.